just the way it is Some things will never change That's just the way it is That's just the way Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick. And the Green Bay Packers surprised a lot of people last night, perhaps including themselves, when they put on a tremendous effort in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. They led for much of the game. They were tied for most of the rest of the game. But when the final gun blew... We had the same result that we had expected in the first place. It took a last-second field goal, but the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to escape with a 31-28 to victory over the Green Bay Packers. And there is a lot to talk about in this game. There was some tremendous individual performances, some questionable coaching decisions, a controversial no-call, perhaps, with a helmet-to-helmet shot on Brett Hundley. All of that we'll get to. But I have one thing that's been burning a hole in my brain since this game concluded. What's that? If these players and this coaching staff were capable of this type of performance in this environment against this opponent, then how the hell did they lose to the Baltimore Ravens 23 to nothing and get destroyed by a mediocre Lions team at home? How does that happen? Uh, it, uh, so first of all, I can see that you've got passion behind this question. and It's it, baffling. It, it's, it's, well, I, uh, so... so um, Clearly, we have some players and some scheme issues, but I think uh, I think in some cases, when you have a backup quarterback, the rest of the team goes as the quarterback goes. And uh, my belief is that if you don't believe your quarterback is going to win the game for you or yeah. is going to keep you in the game, um, do people check out? Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, not only is the quarterback a leader of the of the team, but people are like, okay, so if we give up a touchdown, are we dead now? Yeah. Or 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 we are we going to be okay? And and in those games, you got to admit, he's really bad. Like he he was, but then that's what's so baffling about this is because yesterday they showed tremendous resiliency. I've said tremendous three times. Okay. That's that's a little <laughs> much. They showed a lot of resiliency to bounce back, even when they had that decision to kick that long field goal, and Pittsburgh goes down the field, ties the game, then takes the lead. Brett Hundley has this amazing drive. I don't understand where that resolve came from because they had plenty of opportunities to showcase that in the prior month, and it was nowhere to be found. No, I think you're absolutely right. Here's what I saw. I saw last night finally a quarterback, instead of being like a backyard, draw it up in the sand, you know, let's just take the snap and see if I can see who's open. You saw a lot of stuff on plan. You saw a lot of stuff on time. That 54-yard touchdown screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been talking about screens yep. for a while yep. here. And, yep. um, uh, but there were a lot of stuff. Like, think of the passes over the middle to the tight end and to Randall Cobb. You know, one, two, three, out. We've been talking about that a lot. And that really settles a quarterback down. Because, you know, imagine if you go back, you take the snap, and you've got four 300-pounders trying to take your head off. And you're trying to make up. Where are going to people going? You have to remember what the routes are. I mean, I think what they did yesterday is they said, just like we talked about last week, one, two, three, 
check your primary route, and if not, drop it off. Yeah. And and a lot of times, uh, you know, that ball looked really, really good. I mean, you know, when he was on time, and and that's the difference between playing within an offense mm-hmm. and quote unquote managing the game, and then or, or trying to be a superstar and make big plays all the time. And you can see a, a maturation in a lot of quarterbacks who go from, you know, I don't have to get it all in one play yeah. to, oh, I see there's a plan and it's okay if it's 12 plays, 77 yards, as long as we get the score. Yeah. And I, I get that he was much more decisive yesterday. Yep. Brett, we we're talking Brett Hundley. And I don't know why the sense of maybe it is a maturation thing where he's in the fifth start. I don't see why the fourth start and the fifth start would be that much different. Um, or what? Well, I guess it would have been the fourth significant game and fifth right, significant right. game. But what? That's my whole question. Is I, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. Is but why did the sense of we have nothing to lose that we saw from that offense? Why did it kick in this week and not last week? So the only thing that makes sense to me is that you changed the game plan. From remember when when Hunley went down, Mike McCarthy said we're not slimming down the playbook at all for him. Yeah, and you know we're just going to run exactly what we run. Well. You know, you don't really do that for a rookie quarterback, and he's been in the process three years. But for a rookie quarterback who is, you know, you, you have they have a a, a a fragile personality, a fragile confidence, and you know, you saw long developing plays, and you saw he had to make two or three reads, which is exactly what mm-hmm. we've gotten comfortable with from Aaron Rodgers. And I think what you saw was the game plan come to him. They meet, like, first of all, uh, you know, the first game you have this quarterback who's not ready to play at all, and this unbelievably complex uh, game plan, and it doesn't work out well. And then the next game, you've got this kind of a little bit less game plan, but now you've got this quarterback trying to read stuff after the snap. And now what you saw was the game plan come together. Short passes, pass. Listen, the, we talked about this a week mm-hmm. ago. The best friend of a new quarterback is a screen pass, a draw, and tight ends over the middle. And that's that's what you saw a lot of until yeah. they did enough of that that they popped some people open. Yeah, and, and he made the reads, he made the throws, which was nice to see. And maybe it's something as simple as we're on national TV and we don't want to be embarrassed and our coach is coming back here for the first time in several years. I mean, I can't imagine that the NFL is that simple where it's just a matter of will. There's more involved than that. But it's just so weird that this team could look so different in two weeks' time. Baltimore, I understand. They had two other shutouts against other bad teams. But they're not better than Pittsburgh is. Well, and, and not only that, but the, sh- the shutout was a really bad shutout. Like, like you can yeah. get shut out and almost score and yeah. miss a field goal and get it picked off at the, at the goal line or whatever. We weren't, we weren't within, you know, the same County as their end zone. I think Bob McGinn wrote that after Hunley's interception in the end zone, they never again crossed the Ravens 41 yard line. Wow. That's really something. And then yesterday they're flying up and down the field on a Pittsburgh team that, while they might play down to their competition, is still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And like we talked last week, it's not like they overlooked the Packers. I can't imagine any of those guys that were involved in the 2010 team will ever look overlook someone wearing that uniform ever again. No, I think you're right. Although I will tell you that Mike Tomlin was caught before the game in a news conference. I heard uh, I was listening to this on uh, NFL Network as I was driving today, uh, NFL Channel, mm-hmm. Channel 88. Um <laughs> And and it, th- right before the game, he said, you know, let's just get the elephant out of the room, out of the way right now. Us against the Patriots in a few weeks is going to be a really big game. 
Well, that's what you do when you overlook people. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly the kind of stuff. Um, and, and why wouldn't you? Uh, you, you know, seriously, if <laughs> yeah. you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, so, so you would like to think that because they're professionals and because they make all this money that they do not have the same emotions of getting overconfident or feel like they can't win. It, that's just being a human being. Yeah. You absolutely get overconfident or you absolutely believe, you know, we'll put on a good show, but everybody expects us to lose. And if it's not that big a deal if we lose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a, there was a good game plan that yep. we actually executed the way it was designed on, ri- on rhythm. And, uh, and also Pittsburgh said, ah, you know what? They scored one. No big deal. Yeah. They scored two. Oh, we'll, we'll catch them. Um, and they did, but Boyd caught them just by the, by the skin of their teeth. And maybe the inverse of last week. And, and that, rant at the beginning is a little bit of showmanship i mean we're just trying to have a little bit of fun with this they lose every week we got to find something yeah, right to do. exactly but that momentum could kind of work in reverse as well you you think about brett hunley the week before he throws an interception in the end zone and squanders points immediately well if you're a young player that can set that's struggling that can send your your confidence level down in the pits whereas your, I believe it was the Packers' first drive. He hits a long touchdown bomb to Randall Cobb, which is something that he hasn't been able to do since he's on the team and or since he's been the main quarterback. Right. So that in reverse. And then you have the next drive that goes to Williams for 54 yards. And then it turns the tables like, yeah, we can do this. Right. right. And, and you'll, but you'll know, you know I, I keep going back to this whole thing on rhythm and on timing and stuff. You'll notice that in Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb was in the slot. And what they did is they ran uh, from the outside. They ran a post route to mm-hmm. occupy the safety, and the and the cornerback who had the deep third on that side went with the post route, and that's why he was wide open. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the way it's designed. That's yeah. exactly the way it should come open. The screen pass was done exactly the way it was on the right down. It wasn't. You know, you don't run a screen on third and fourteen because everybody <laughs> knows you're going to throw a screen unless so, you're trying to set up a punt. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah there you go. It's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I I think um and, and the last thing I'll tell you is it's human nature. If you're a wide receiver, I don't care how good you are, and you don't believe the even if you get open that the quarterback can get you the ball. Yeah, you're a step slower. Your 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 breaks in and out of your breaks are not as sharp. Um, you don't run your routes with the same precision. Uh, because hey, you know I worked really hard and I didn't get open even when he threw it to me. It was ten feet over my head. So. It's not mailing it in. Mm-hmm. It's just being uh not confident that your best effort is going to be enough because the person who controls the distribution of the ball just can't get it to you. Uh, For more on that type of behavior, see Moss Randy. (laughs) Is that about describes his career? Well done. To a T. So the offense did some really nice things. Uh, Jamal Williams was, I mean, he still had a John Brockington-esque 22 carries for 66 (laughs) yards, but his total yardage was over 100. He had the nice screen pass, runs really hard. Always falls forward. Always falls forward. He never gets stopped for no yards. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Now, uh, he'll get stopped for three inches. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but always falling forward. Yeah. And think about Ty Montgomery, who runs really straight up. He has a lean to him. We, uh, in the running back vernacular, we call it he has a lean to him, which means that he runs with his body leaning forward. So even when he falls, he's always falling forward. And if somebody meets him head on in the hole, he's got more momentum, momentum than they do. Mm-hmm. And so you get something out of it. So he listen, he's he's got a lot of maturing to do. He's not really reading holes yet. No. Uh, you saw that with... Um, Aaron Jones that he actually reads holes. Uh, Williams isn't there yet, but you can see that you know he has the want to because mm-hmm. boy nobody stops him. Uh, he's a bull when people when people try to tackle him. So. Yeah, and I almost think they they. I mean, he had 21 carries, so it's hard to say that they abandoned the run. But situationally, it felt like 
which a lot of the offensive-minded coaches tend to do. Once they get tied, they start calling the game like they're behind. Right, right. And we saw that a little bit in the third quarter. And But, you know, again, 21 carries, it's not like they didn't use the guy. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're still too in love with the pass. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's odd to be in love with the pass when you have a, a passer who has been bad the last four yeah. weeks. So that, that seems like that's where you shift your game plan yeah. to something else. I'm still waiting for them just to put Aaron Ripkowski in front of Williams <laughs> and run the ball between the tackles. I mean, yeah. again, you know, 50 years ago, that's all teams did. And I don't know, it seemed to work for some guy named L- Lomb- Lombardi. Yeah, Lombardi, actually. <laughs> well, what uh, less than fifteen years ago, Amon Green was running over the world with exactly. William Henderson in front of him. Exactly. Well, I think part of the reason that they stayed with the pass is Brett Hundley did play very well. I I got a little bit of a chuckle out of Chris Collinsworth explaining Hundley's footwork by saying that he was trying to avoid getting hurt and then was comparing it to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I saw that graphic. Yeah, I'm like that might be true to an extent, but also. Are we going to just ignore the part where it works for those guys because they have, like, two of the five best arms in the history of pro football? <laughs> right. Where they don't need right. legs. They can throw it 40 yards laying on their back. Um, Brett Hundley is unfortunately not in that class, but most people aren't. Yeah, I, I got a chuckle you, out of that. You, you want to see good mechanics out of somebody who doesn't have a cannon. And he's got a good arm, but he yeah. doesn't have a cannon for an arm like like the two of those they, they do. No, but uh, so Hundley was playing well, mm-hmm. and so I think that's part of the reason why they stayed 135 with the quarterback rating, which, by the way. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that part of that's a stat that I wanted to share that I was talking about on Twitter today, but we okay. can discuss. So he played well, but I think part of the reason that McCarthy was abandoning the run while tied, and why he tried a fifty-seven yard field goal was rightfully so. He didn't have any confidence that that defense could slow down that Steeler offense. You and I had that texting conversation, yeah. and I I was you know wild furious that he would make that decision and then when you came back and said you know if you don't trust your uh you got to get points anywhere you can because this what you've scored isn't enough because your defense is so bad and and I'm I'm sadly it made a lot of sense to me once you said it yeah and I I agree that that might have been playing the percentages I fans tend to kind of fixate I'm I'm as guilty as anyone but they fixate on these little points throughout the game on so many message boards and on Twitter just seeing, well, the longest field goal in the history of Heinz Field was 53 yards. Did anybody know that until they put the graphic (laughs) on the screen after the missed field goal? And by the way, that game-winning field goal at the end, I know a different situation, would have been good from 57. Mason Crosby is one of the leaders of your team and has won you a lot of games. And if you think you need points and there's 25 minutes left and you have a tenuous lead, give him a chance to make a big play. If he makes it, that sideline erupts. Yeah. I I, I still, you know, if I were coaching, I would have done it differently, but I totally understand your... It was a panic move. I don't think it was the right move, but I understand his logic behind it. Right. Um, and, and before the game, before every game, I mean, kickers, uh, you know, they practice from distance and they, you know, the, the long snapper and the holder are out there. And, and uh, before every game starts, the kicker will come to the coach and say, I'm good from 50 in. Yeah. You know, and so then you actually, you figure out where that is and you actually put a mark on your sideline. Like you literally, you know, drop, we would, we'd have like a, a cooler of Gatorade or a mm-hmm. bag of Skittles or, you know, something. <laughs> and then, you know, if we get to the bag of Skittles, now you can start talking about a, a field goal. And so, um, you know, clearly he had some idea that he was going to make it. Um, 
and, and it, that really bothers me, though, that, that we're talking about that defense that way because uh, I know they had a bunch of injuries, but boy, oh boy, do I struggle with some of the technique that, that they did last night. So we'll talk. Yeah. I, I guess I'm guessing we're leading into that. Yeah, we are because the Packers yesterday became the first team in the history of the National Football League, at least since 1940. I, I but assuredly since 1940, okay. the first team to lose a game when they were plus three or better turnover margin and had a team passer rating of 130 and lose. They we're number one. Yeah, right. We're the only one. <laughs> there you go. Only a Green Bay Packers team under Mike McCarthy with Dom Capers as the defensive coordinator could have your quarterback with a 130-plus quarterback rating, force three turnovers, and lose the game. Yeah. Uh, so so many things in that uh, confuse me. And I'm an offensive coordinator by my nature. Yeah. And so, I, you know, defense is not my specialty. But, I, you know, I've played against enough defenses that, you know, one of the things that's really confusing for me is our cornerbacks. So, so I think we've talked about yeah. this. You either play off – and you react to the, to the wide receiver's move, but you take away the inside or outside, right? Either outside technique or inside technique, or you're at the line of scrimmage and you jam them yeah. to get the timing off because all this stuff is timing for the offense. But when you line up square yeah. a yard from them, giving them both the inside and the outside, and you don't jam them, like you have, that's, <laughs> what are you doing? Like you're I would observing love to play that against that defense. Yeah. So that's that's a technique thing that, again, that's a ninth-grade technique thing. I, I'm guessing that there's some reason. I'd love to hear it because it's not <laughs> something that I would, uh, I've ever heard in all my years around football. And the second thing is, you know, uh, you and I have been talking back and forth about, listen, we're not getting sacks from our front three, front two, front four, whatever. And so I, what I've been begging for is for those linemen to take two steps forward. And if, they, if they're not, they don't break free, just get your hands up. Yeah. You know, you've got Quentin Dial, who's 6'5". You've got the guy from Northwestern that's 6'5". Yeah, uh, with Lowry. their yeah. hands up, they're nine and a half <laughs> feet tall, for goodness sakes. Yeah. So you put those two. And, and what you saw was the blocking opened up a path right in front of Roethlisberger. He had a lane every single time right down the middle. I've never, I haven't seen him run that much in five years. It's, uh, you know, and, and run is even a generous statement, really. It's really more <laughs> of a trot, I guess, but it yeah. uh, happens to people as they get a little bit older. But, you know, that one tipped pass by Aaron Brooks, that's what you do. Yeah, like, yeah, if you can't get to the yeah. quarterback, you know, there's a, there's a clock in your head if you're a quarterback. you got to get the ball out in three seconds. As a, as a defensive lineman, in two and a half seconds, if you haven't broken free, you get your hands up. Yeah. That's just that's just what you do. And so you've got the exact right guys to do it. You've got the right situations to do it. And what you saw, go back and take a look at some of it, uh, some of the, the throws at Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he had people around him to the side, but mm-hmm. right straight in front of him. It was, I mean, you know, yeah. heck, you and I can make those throws. And you can't have those types of easy completions when you have such a matchup problem with Antonio Brown. Sure. When we're talking about what they could do against Brown, there is nobody on the Green Bay roster, no combination of two or three guys on that Green Bay roster that's going to be able to effectively rein that guy in. With Landry last year, he had over 100 yards receiving against the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. this guy is really ridiculous. Yep. And you saw that yesterday with that catch at the end, one of the best catches I've ever seen with his fingertips, still getting both feet in bounds. It was like the Jared Cook thing, but against us now. Yeah, well, you know, that <laughs> tends to happen more often than back, we give come, it to It comes back people. to you, doesn't it? But they tried man-to-man. They tried different things. And then they on the touchdown that he had near the end there, they tried cover two, which is dubious. But that was able to work. So I don't have a problem with that. I I have a problem with that, but I don't have a problem with it not working because Antonio Brown is so good. I have a problem with second and 20 
and you give Big Ben a easy, soft completion that leads to a third and six. That's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. Yeah, so, so what's really hard, again, hard for me to understand. So crossing routes kill Dom Capers' defense. They always have. You saw it with the Ravens. You, you see it, the Patriots run it all day long. Rub routes. Well, here's my, you know, when you watch those rub routes, what they do is they run the, the wide receiver or the slot receiver shallow right underneath the, the, uh, the middle linebackers, right? And so they, they expect that, that our own middle linebacker is going to kind of impede the progress of the cornerback yeah. that's covering them, and that's a natural pick. They call it a natural pick. Well, here's the problem with that. Those shallow crosses are within five lines, five yards of the line of scrimmage. And the rules say within five yards of the line of scrimmage, what can you do to a receiver? Whap them. Whatever you want. <laughs> and so the idea that our middle linebackers aren't just laying these guys out yeah. who are running these shallow crosses, like seriously, like watch, watch how we get killed every week. And it's crossing pattern after crossing pattern after crossing pattern. You gotta stop that. You You're not let... gonna run with them. You've been trying that for seven years, right? Exactly. And so, and l- listen. So you either have a you either have a trap where the guy on the other side breaks off his coverage and lays him out. But when's the last time we laid out a receiver? I, it happens so infrequently. I can't remember. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, our safeties were like absent. They were. They were uh, AWOL yesterday, apparently. They were getting a hamburger or something. <laughs> Haha, Clinton Dix is terrible. I, I, I don't know if we want to get to that r- right away, but he, again, I, I feel like I don't have to preface this every week. He's a great guy, but he plays like he doesn't understand that he has the right to play the ball if he wants. He almost Before like, it gets caught. Exactly. <laughs> he, it's almost he waits for it to get caught. He seems, I don't know, hesitant or slow to react. Even on run plays, there are so many plays that end with Ha Ha Clinton Dix standing around watching people get up off the turf. Yeah, there was a t- you know he went to the Pro Bowl last year because he was aggressive and because he played the run, and it's almost like he won that, and now he's just he's like a spectator a lot yeah. of the times, and you can see him in the background, and he's like, oh, you know, if if you seven people miss him, I got him, you know, thirty <laughs> yards downfield, and you know, if you think of the really good safeties. Um, why does the why does the safety who scored the touchdown against uh, Pittsburgh? I can never remember his name. He 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 left us because he had a neck injury. He, fantastic. Oh, Nick Collins. Yeah, Nick Collins. Yeah, thank you very much. So if you think about Nick Collins, I mean Nick Collins roamed back there, yeah. and he owned back there, and was a vacuum of any wayward. Exactly path. right. So. You know, your safety is responsible, A, deeper than the deepest, but also make people not want to come over a middle, over yeah. the middle. You know, the great safeties of all time, the Ed Reeds of the world, yeah. the, um, you know, the assassin, Jack Tatum, you know, um, all those people yeah. are known because they laid out receivers in the middle of the field. And so, again, we're just this kind of polite, kind of finesse defense. And they're just, they're, listen, they're just taking what we give them. Yeah. They're just none. Nothing was super complicated last night. The fade in the corner of the end zone that we got beat on. Yeah, you know that was Hawkins in there yeah. because I think King was out. I mean that's just a timing throw yeah. because he didn't take away. He didn't either go inside or outside leverage. He just let him right past him. So and at some point you can't do everything. You have to make some choices. 
especially three seconds after the ball has been snapped. Yeah, right. You, you have to do something. You make a move and you take away something, and sometimes you get beat, but that's what your safeties are there for. Yeah, and uh, HaHa right now is playing like Darren Sharper without a nose for the football. It's uh, it's very confusing because, again, he's clearly capable. Yeah. I mean, we have seen great things for him, but, you know, that, that uh, if you go all the way back to the championship game we lost in Seattle where they threw up that two-point yeah. conversion that was like a punt that he could have fair caught and he misplayed. Yeah. I mean, that's like he's playing that all the time now. Well, and even we talked in our offseason show where I wasn't seeing the hype for this guy. His plays last year were like Matt Barkley airmail passes that mm-hmm. were going to nobody that he was able right, to track overthrown down. and goes right to him. Yeah. Absolutely, or tip balls or something. The play to me, you, you mentioned the two-point conversion. That's a great one. But the play to me when I think of HaHa Clinton Dix is you have a third down and six. You're trailing the Colts 31-26, to 26, and Aaron Rodgers is red hot. You're going to win the game if he gets the ball back. Right. HaHa's number is called to blitz Andrew Luck. He has Andrew Luck one-on-one, hits Andrew Luck square in the back. Luck brushes him off and throws for a first down. You... An elite safety has to bring the quarterback has to, down. Has to, has to destroy him. I mean, yeah. you, you get that clean shot, and you take a clean shot. I'm not talking about hurting anybody, but you take a clean shot. and But you you know, you know got to wipe him out because when you blitz like that, you leave an open receiver. And yeah. if you're Peyton Manning, you find that open receiver. So if you get home, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you gotta you got to get home. At least maybe tackle him. Yeah, there's you a can't thought. just get thrown to the side. Well... I might have the answer to my own question that started this. <clears throat> why Why are the Packers capable of this type of performance yesterday and then eight days ago, one of the worst performances mm-hmm. we've seen from any Packer team in 25 years? And I think the answer is because this is a bad football team. And I know a lot is going to be talked about that the inspiring performance, and maybe it's clicked for Hunley, and Devontae Adams looks like he's worthy of a big contract, and Blake Martinez has arrived. All of those are true. Those are all true. What's also true is that this team is 1-5 without Aaron Rodgers. Teams that win one game out of six are bad bad football teams. And that doesn't mean that you get blown away every week like the Cleveland Browns. Uh, This stretch has reminded me, or yesterday's game in particular, reminds me a bit of the 91 Packers where uh, the day after the season when Lindy Infante was waiting to see if Ron Wolf was going to keep him, he had a comment to the media that was basically... You know, if a few plays could have been changed, we could have been 10 and 6. Now, this is a team that had just finished 4 and 12. Wow. Yeah. Now, mind you, they had the lead or were tied in 9 of 16 games after 3 quarters and finished 4 and 12. So they were in every single game. Sure. But at some point, if all of those slip away, even if they're tight, you're bad. It's scheme. So if you can do it for 3 quarters yeah. and then you stop doing it, that has to be schemed, doesn't it? Like, oh, like I, I, unless you replaced all the players, they clearly have been doing it for three quarters. Well, I think you could fool people for. I, I think it could be either. I guess I don't know if I'm willing to blame McCarthy or who's to blame. But the truth is that whatever pieces they have left, they're it's it's a bad football team. Yeah. They they it doesn't add up to victories. Close losses count the same in the playoff tiebreakers as losing by 30. Well, and, and, and it's more than that. So so now, you know, we, we are long-suffering Packer fans now because of all the, you know, the Seattle loss and the loss to the Giants and stuff. Look, think of the, the, the terrible, gut-wrenching losses that we've had. Um, you, you had a really interesting comment that, we're, that, that McCarthy is 2-8 and eight 
two and eight in overtime games. Yeah, I texted that to you yesterday because I was infuriated that he didn't go for two. He gave the game into the hands of his defense when he's two and eight in overtime games. And oh, by the way, in games decided by three points or less since he became coach, he's 14, 20, and one, which is fifth worst in the NFL in that time period. Yeah, and, and that's that's really when coaching and scheme shows itself is in tight games. I mean, you, if you, you either beat really good teams or you get beaten by really good teams. But when you're it, it's scheme and it's decision making on the field mm-hmm. when you're equally matched, and that's not a very good. Um, uh, it's an indictment of of how we play those close games. So here's my question for you: that seems bizarre to bring up this week after the game we just saw, which, by the way, was a fantastic game. Oh I my enjoyed gosh, watching. It was so it. fun, Unless, even though you kind of thought in the back of your mind you're going to lose it yeah like it was super exciting yeah it, it was it was a great game to watch and when they lost it was like a Ugh. yeah you know right. <laughs> and then it builds throughout the day because you're you're trying to think of ways to explain it but as the game was happening it was great but here's a weird question to ask after they took perhaps the best team in the nfl to the brink in their building with their skeleton crew mm-hmm. they played especially at the quarterback position, about as well as you could have expected Aaron Rodgers to play in that environment. 135 is a really good quarterback rating. Three touchdown passes, and they found a way to lose, yet again, one of these close games. Now, you've lost these types of games with Rodgers, with Matt Flynn, with (laughs) Brett Hundley. I like Mike McCarthy, and I think... Some people think he's a total bum and just oh, off the coattail. I don't feel that way, yeah. I don't either. But at some point, why can't you win these close I, games? I think he's not an elite coach. I, I think. Do you have to move on then? I think H- how long a, do you let this exper- how, how long do you let you stay at the level? You have to think that maybe they could get a little bit higher without him. It's weird. What do you do with him? Because it's clear you can't win these types of games, and you have to win two or three of them to win a championship. Yeah, I think you'd have a hard time getting rid of McCarthy uh, just because of his record and the way he's like. But but you know, if McCarthy's doing his job the right way, he's letting the offensive coordinator you know put in the game plan, and he's calling the plays, and he's letting the defensive coordinator, and he doesn't get too involved in that. And if our, our defense is that bad off, I mean, the first step is changing your defensive coordinator. Yes. I, I really think so because um, – so first of all, as a player, once again, if you don't change anything, yeah. holy cow, that's you know that's really depressing because you know exactly where you're going to go. And it's very, very clear that the rest of the NFL has figured out Dom, Dom Capers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we see it – you know, we talk about the crossing patterns. Even teams that don't run crossing patterns run crossing patterns <laughs> against the Packers. And the middle of the field, have you ever noticed – how many completions right down the middle of the seams in the field. That's the weakness of the defense that he plays, and Mm -hmm. it never changes. You go back to the big plays – or, and not even it's the chunk plays. It's yeah. not the it's not the fifty yard touchdowns. It's the fifteen yard passes to the tight end over the middle. Think Witten for Dallas. You know, think of of Pittsburgh's receiver uh, uh, tight ends. Tight ends kill us. Running backs kill us. And it's because the middle of the field is wide open. Um, so I, I think that's the first step. Yeah. I think what you have is as a good coach, not an elite coach, a good coach with an elite quarterback. And when that elite quarterback goes he's up up slightly above average coach yeah and I'm not advocating for Mike McCarthy to get fired necessarily I think yesterday probably clinched that nothing's going to change unfortunately unless somebody voluntarily moves on but you've won a championship with McCarthy and you can't take that away from him but you've reached a point too in the last seven years where it's it's kind of like if you're with Chuck Knox or somebody like that where 
Marty Schottenheimer is a great mm-hmm. example. Sure. This guy's undeniably a good football coach, but we've hit a plateau here that we can't, can't seem get to get over, over no matter who we have. But your Dom point is good, and we've obviously wanted Dom gone for a long time. Well, I still believe that you can do this with in a respectful way. I still yeah. think you keep him on staff. Yeah. It's not a money thing, yeah. right? So you keep him on staff as a special coordinator, assistant, whatever, yeah. and you promote Winston Moss. And then, you know, you still have all the wisdom of of Dom Capers, but you have the youth and new age thinking of of a, of a, a recent player. It's kind of the best of all, all worlds. And so mm-hmm. that's what I'd love because I don't really think that you just let, you know, Dom, unless he wants to. I don't think you yeah. just let him go yeah. uh, because he's got a lot of respect and a lot yeah. of good ideas. But, it you know, it's like it's like taking somebody who built cars in the 60s. And then still having to run your your factory building cars in 2017. Yeah. Right? They know cars, but cars have changed, and the needs of cars have changed, and the technology has changed. And no matter what they do, they're always going to go back to what really was successful for them at the very beginning. which makes sense. And that's what you see over and over again here. Yeah, and I hesitate to even say this because I haven't looked at the actual data to it, but... If you look at those 35 games that Mike McCarthy's been in in his career that were decided by three points or less on either side, Mm -hmm. that they're 14, 20, and one in, I would be willing to bet that most of those losses were when Dom had his guys on the field trying to preserve a win because when McCarthy, who's the offensive guy, has his offense on the field, they usually win. Yeah, I I think that's true. We haven't, I mean, think about it. We haven't been complaining about the offense for the last five years. No. It's... Well, number 12 helps. I always go back to the idea of, remember I talked about this earlier in the season, 17 points was always the, the, the watershed moment for me. The offense should score 17 or more, Yeah. and if they do that, they've done their job. The defense should hold the other team to seven, to 16 or less. Yeah. That, that's what we, that was yeah. just my standard. There's no mathematical certainty to it. There's no really historical data. But if you really think about it, if you're a defense and you give up two touchdowns and a field goal, yeah. People are moving the ball on you. You know, it's not it's not like you score once and get 17 points. And so our offense is continually, well, except last week, yeah. continually scoring over 17 points and losing. Like you know, <laughs> sometimes if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks yeah. like a duck, it's very, very often a duck. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this one's quacking pretty loudly and has been for a while. <laughs> Well, that one's in the past now, and looking to the future, there's two winnable games coming up against the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Cleveland Browns. I've never been accused of being the most optimistic Packer fan, <laughs> but lots of people are pointing to those two games. If you win them, then you're 7-6, and six, and then you have a chance with Aaron Rodgers perhaps coming back the next week. I am doing what I do best and being the bearer of bad news. Okay. The season's over. As far as the playoffs... They're done. After what happened yesterday, they're two and a half games back of the sixth seed with five to play. They're currently ninth in the conference and have the same record as the 10th team, which is Washington, and the 11th team, which is Arizona. They've lost to three of the teams currently vying for wildcard spots, which are Atlanta, New Orleans, and Detroit. There's a lot of sites out there that simulate like 10,000 seasons from Mm -hmm. this point on to try and see... um, what the odds are of teams going to the playoffs. And the Packers are currently at about 5% on wow. most of them. And a lot of Packer fans are looking to Aaron coming back, and they're excited about it. I get it. But the truth is, in recent years when the Packers have been able to salvage these seasons, 
it's not because of some transcendent performance by Aaron Rodgers alone. It's because they were incredibly lucky. If you look at 2013, when Aaron Rodgers got hurt the last time, they made the playoffs with an 8-7-1 and one record. They need, the Lions had a huge lead with four games remaining, and they lost all four games. The Bears lost four of their last seven to even set up a chance for the Packers to have that dramatic walk-off win in Week 17. Last year, the Vikings started 5-0 and and became one of only eight teams out of 79 in the history of the 16-game schedule to start 5-0 and or better and miss the playoffs. A complete collapse on their part. Detroit had a Three or a two-game lead with three to play, and lost both of them so wow. that the Packers could have a chance. And also in front of the Packers, after they got blown out by Washington and started four and six, they were thirteenth in the conference. And the teams ahead of them that weren't in the NFC North combined for a twenty and twenty-eight record. Tampa Bay and New York were the only teams to have a winning record, and they were four and two. And the Packers went six and zero. Oh. The rest of the NFC collapsed. Collapsed in front of them, yeah. Collapsed in front of them, allowing the Packers to come back. And you look at the teams that are up there right now, they all play each other. So you have New Orleans and Atlanta still playing twice. Carolina plays Atlanta. New Orleans plays Atlanta. If you lose to Carolina, you're done, even if you... Right, right. Well, if you lose to anybody from this point on, you're toast. That's true. But even if you win out, if those NFC South teams have a somewhat equal distribution of wins in those matchups... And Detroit finishes 10-6 and six with their easy schedule, you're done. It, Detroit will have clinched before you get a chance to play them again. I think that's true. I, I think, you know, we... if, if And it is ha- true. I actually played around with oh, the ESPN <laughs> playoff simulator. There is... go. Uh, ESPN has the playoff uh, machine on online right now. We've, for a long time on Green and Gold Forever, have played around with different scenarios trying to figure them out. There are... There is a very narrow road to the playoffs for the Packers that it's almost non-existent. And we, and if we hadn't gotten in by luck a couple of times, we would be writing off the season a long time ago. But but what you said is really true, that in a normal distribution where most a lot of teams are 8-8 eight and eight, and there's some, a few really good teams and a few really bad teams, that, uh, we'd have a shot. But in this case, you have a number of really good teams and a number of really bad teams, which throws off the distribution. Mm-hmm. So in a normal environment, you remember that uh, Mike McCarthy said, listen, until you get to 10 wins, everything else is white noise. Yeah. So in a normal year, 10 wins is enough to have you in the conversation. But if you look at the records, not this year. No. Uh, this year will not get you home. So the best, the very best you can do is probably not enough to get you in if you win out. Yeah, absolutely. They, they could... Very, very easily, um, if they won, ten, if they somehow won ten games, which is the most difficult part of this, is if they go ten and six, they could very easily get left out. Seattle, if they finish eleven and five, then the Packers don't even get to apply their head-to-head tiebreaker. Right. So basically, their only road to the playoffs, as far as I've been looking, without going game by game, is they need a near total collapse by the Atlanta Falcons. They need the Vikings to beat them this week because you're not going to win the North. That's over. Right. Right. And you need the Saints to sweep Atlanta. You need Detroit to lose one other game. You need Seattle to finish ten and six or worse. And the Packers have to win five straight. Yeah, that, uh, it's not going to happen. If folks. I'm a, that's the trifecta, and that's why it never. You know, people don't bet the trifecta because it's pretty hard to hit all three. <laughs> that's like the quinfecta. I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, and that's hard for us to understand because it, was it nine straight seasons in the playoffs? Eight, and it, it would have been the record. It would have tied the record. Them in New England would have tied the record for the longest streak ever this year. 
Yeah. So, so what it tells you, so, so think about now the divergent path between the Packers and the Patriots, which have very often been linked in the last five years as really, really successful places. Yeah. Well, you know, what happens when one of your stars goes down? Well, if you're a Patriot, you plug somebody else in and you go, which means it has to be scheme, right? If you can plug in other players, that must mean the scheme is beating the other team as much as the players are beating the other well, team. Well, they could have a... Also, Belichick ties that with perhaps the best talent evaluation in football. Right that, that's what we, well, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Exactly, right. And he and he fills in slots with with players who were potentially great and never made it to their to the zenith of their career and really became who they could be. And then you know gives them one final shot to uh, you know get a couple more years paycheck in the <laughs> NFL system. And so they become the they they work really hard to become the, the person that they want. Mm-hmm. But but you're starting to see that those two teams diverge. Yeah. Um, and it's, it says a lot about the organization. You know, the Patriots, very clearly, um, a lot of B and C free agents that fill needs, uh, people in their last year or two that just fit a mold. With the Packers, like with Martel Spender, are looking for a savior. Yeah. And that, you know, you you have five pieces that you bring in that will only play for you for a year or two. You don't have one guy who's going to be transcendent over the next decade. Yeah, and there's very few cases of that happening in, in free agents ever. Um. Yeah, so it's sad to see that end. At least they'll have an asterisk next to it that Aaron Rodgers <laughs> lost. It's not like they right, just weren't right. good enough. So I guess if you're a, a Rodgers fan, there's a silver lining in that. But uh, miracles can happen, but I think the Packers have had their fair share of regular season miracles recently. Sure. And for every uh, run the table and R-E-L-A-X and Matt Flynn to the rescue – um, I think we've used up our nine playoff lines. Yeah, the at this fairy point. tale may just have. Uh, we may be waking up from the fairy tale dream. Yeah. Um, well, we get to go to sleep again in 2018. Yeah, exactly. Aaron Rodgers. Hey, is one other thing I want to talk about super quickly before we move on. Yeah. And that is, we had the first opportunity to see um, T.J. Watt and Beagle on mm. the field uh, at the same time. Now, Beagle played yesterday. Yeah, he did. So, okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you: um, the difference between the two of them is aggression. Uh-huh. And 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 T.J. Watt plays fast. He may make mistakes, but he plays super fast. And Beagle will get there. Remember, coming out of college, their measurables, mm-hmm. their height, their weight, their speed, their lifting, their three cone drill, all that stuff, almost identical. All right, so they both have the same tools. T.J. Watt, whether his brother is teaching him to play fast or be more aggressive, whatever. Beagle has the same tools, but they looked like two completely different players yesterday. And um, and Beagle looked like he was playing to not get beat, yeah. where T.J. Watt was looking to make the splash plays. And, and if you think about that on defense, you can make a few mistakes in a drive, but if you make one splash play, you stop a drive. <laughs> and I think Beagle is more like, I don't want to make a mistake. Yeah. And so he's really tentative. So so there's a lot more good to come from Beagle. I just I want people to hang in there. Yeah. But uh, but when he plays, watch for that idea that if he's if he's not being aggressive. Um, it's not that he can't. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't have the tools. And T.J. Watt is a good player. I just, yeah. you know, uh, should we have taken him? No, because we got King and Beagle, and I think in a couple years we'll be saying, wow, we got the better of that. Right now it yeah. doesn't look like we got the better of it. Well, I think part of that aggression is due to the uniform. I'm 
I talk assertively on the podcast, but in real life, I'm a more mild-mannered person. But I think if I put on a Steelers jersey, I'd be kicking people in the shins and pie-facing them. And it, it just it's it an takes attitude. over. Yeah. It's absolutely an attitude. What is acceptable? What, how much or how little aggression is acceptable in the locker room and on the field is clearly set by the coaching staff. Is bonking Brett Hundley in the face with your helmet acceptable from a penalty standpoint? Wow. So so really confusing. You know, It reminds me of, of Aaron Rodgers getting his face mask pulled in yeah. that loss to the Arizona Cardinals and not getting a call there. And people are saying, well, you know, he started to run. Listen, if you're a quarterback in the pocket and, and he didn't like, he didn't start running, right? Yeah. He pulled it down with the idea. If you're a quarterback in the pocket, you're protected period. End of story. No idea why he didn't get that call. It's the most egregious helmet yeah. to helmet. You can imagine the sound. You could hear it yeah. through your TV. Yeah. Um, and you know, and not only that, but it affects the next play, right? So, so what McCarthy said, "Listen, we, we're we're wondering if they're going to stop the game and go into concussion protocol." Yeah, and we're waiting for the flag because everybody yeah. in the sideline sees it, and then all of a sudden, nothing happens like that. We have to figure out if Hunley's okay to keep playing. Which again, there's the you know, if you really were that concerned, why didn't you stop the game and yeah. put Hunley in the you know checked out for concussion? So there's you can't kind of have it both ways there. Um, but it's one of the reasons why the next play call was not the right play call, and they didn't communicate to Williams to, to stay inbounds to run the clock because apparently there's uh, people are told we're in two minute drill, so yeah. everybody get out of bounds. They ne- he didn't get told because of that delay, mm-hmm. at least the way McCarthy and, and, and Hunley says it. Um, they, he didn't get told that they were out of the two minute offense, and so that's why he went out of bounds. So sounds like uh, a lot of miscommunication. Well, on the side. but again, it all yeah. starts with you know you you get knocked loopy. And you can take all logic and and, uh, yeah. and you know quick thinking out of your mind because if you've ever been hit helmet to helmet, um, you know the world looks very very different. Remember a couple of years ago when they had Demarius Thomas on that commercial where uh, I think it was a maybe a DraftKings commercial when he says winners get wings and he took the wings away from the losing team. Yeah, I feel like Ed Hockley after the controversy he had with Cam Newton a couple of years ago and then now yesterday. Sorry, safeties for stars only. <laughs> you know, it, it really. Uh, you know, there used to be a book called the Jordan Rules in, in yeah. the NBA. It, it certainly. Okay, so so here's the here's the test. If that's Aaron Rodgers, does he get the call? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, they're probably like throwing him out of the game for a malicious yeah. targeting foul, even though there's no such rule in the NFL. <laughs> you know, so it, it, if 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 Aaron Rodgers got hit like that we would be talking about a 15-yard penalty and at the very least going into overtime. But Yeah, um, it is what it is, I guess. Yep. All right, well, thank God November's over. Uh, Mike McCarthy now 24-26 and 1 in the month of November. A losing record in the month of November for his career. Wow, that's not good. He is 95-41 and 41 in all other months. Perhaps most frustrating is that since 2015, the Packers are 3-10 and 10 in November. I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Rodgers played in two of those three Novembers. Oh, yes. And only San Francisco and Cleveland have worse records in the month of November the last three years. Something's not, something happens this time of year. This year they have an excuse. Last year they didn't. Yeah, but let, uh, so I, I think this is it. So you know how uh, teams will go in at halftime and make adjustments for the second half because of what they've seen? I think the Packers put in a really good game plan that catches people by surprise or they really execute well in the first third of the year. 
And then people figure them out. Yeah. And it takes them. They're like, no, no, we're really good. We'll just keep doing it. We'll yeah. just do it a little bit better. And then it takes them till December to say, wow, people have us figured out. We need to make adjustments. And, um, and I, that's my theory yeah, at it least. it could be. Because it's the only thing that makes sense for that much consistent losing. And then being able to flip the switch and, and win again. Um, again, can't be players. Same players. Has to be scheme. They've always seemed like a team that plays much better as the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what it is because you're the Green Bay Packers and you have perhaps the best player of all time quarterbacking your team. Why do you think you're the underdog? You need to get comfortable not being the right, underdog, right. but it, it could be. That famous yeah. McCarthy saying we're nobody's underdog when they were going into uh, yeah. the Patriots with Matt Flynn. Why not a saying that says we're everybody's nightmare and embrace <laughs> that instead? Because yeah. they could be that if they wanted to. They've been that in the past. Okay, this, this is probably going to be a long show because we've got a lot of good Facebook questions. I don't want to go too far into it because, again, this could all go away. But tomorrow night, the Wisconsin Badgers will find out where they rank in the college football playoff system after the regular season is over. They have a huge matchup, perhaps the biggest game in school history against Ohio State on Saturday. And I'll be interested to see what happens I think personally that Wisconsin likely isn't the best team in the country, but they absolutely should be ranked number one because if 12 and 0 doesn't matter, then what the hell are we doing? Yeah, so you've got you know you've got teams in consideration that have one and two losses. So, yeah, you know they're they're saying well if Ohio State beats Wisconsin on Saturday, Ohio State will go and Wisconsin won't. And I'm like, really, you're going to take a two loss yeah. team over a one loss team? I mean, I know they played head to head, but that's not yeah. really how. <laughs> Playoffs go. We we go by rankings. We go by um. We go by your your uh, your record. So, Supposedly, yeah. If Ohio State were called Purdue with this resume, yeah, no, it never they would happened. be ranked twenty third. <laughs> yeah. So so again, do 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 some teams get uh you know special treatment? Of course, the answer is yes. Although I got to tell you, so so I think you know Alabama is not the the roller uh the um steamroller that they've been in the past. Um. The only team I would not want to play, believe it or not, and it's not Alabama, it's Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma throws the ball really, yeah. really well. And the Badgers' front seven is really good. Yeah. Uh, but but if you get a throwing team, which there aren't many, yeah. um, you know, since Drew Brees left, yeah. uh, there's not that many passing teams in the, in the Big Ten. And um, their secondary um, – you know, it is not an elite level. Yeah. Um, it, they're, they're very good, and I think they uh, – but they're just not elite cover guys. But don't you feel like Jonathan Taylor could run for 300 yards against them? I do. I really do. I so. would love to see that matchup. I don't think they would win, but that, to me, if you're trying to find a way to make Wisconsin appealing to the national audience, find a way if Wisconsin beats Ohio State – to get them matched up with Oklahoma on January That's a, uh And so that's the question. Do they want Wisconsin on the no, stage? Because no, they Wisconsin's don't. boring and they run the ball and they're not flashy and they don't have turnover chains, you know, necklaces yeah. that they put on. When I was getting snarky on Twitter on Saturday night because ESPN spent all their time talking about Alabama and Ohio State, a two-loss Ohio State team, right. an Alabama team who, by the way, has beaten no one. If you look at the college football playoff rankings since they first came out, okay. The way that they've ranked the SEC, this is a, a little tinfoil hat opinion of mine. <laughs> All right. But LSU got blown out at home by Troy, has three losses, and was 18 last week. Michigan lost to Penn State on the road. They lost to Michigan State in a f- monsoon, and they lost to Wisconsin right. and were unranked. And 
LSU, after getting blown out by Troy with no good wins, is 18. The only way you have LSU as 18 is because you want Alabama to be number one, and if LSU ain't 18, Alabama has no good wins on their entire schedule. That's really true. You know, their their signature win, you know, Alabama normally is just the, the, the absolute class the last three or four years, the absolute class of college football. But if you look at their wins, you know, everyone's talking about Wisconsin's soft schedule. Yeah. Find the signature win that from Alabama. Ooh, well, you know, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Sure, of course. That, oh, God, they're up probably there. Probably really took, you took them right to the end level, you know. Um, <laughs> but that's, I think that's my opinion is the re- you see like South Carolina was 25th. I mean, some of these teams are ridiculously rated, and I think it's all because, and I don't even know if essentially if perhaps it's, uh, conscious, but that they think Alabama's number one. So how do we build a case that Alabama's number one through the rankings? Well, it, you know, listen, Alabama is sexier than Wisconsin is, and it draws more viewers. Uh, you know, my, my my older brother has a great saying: if you want to know the reason why for anything, yeah. the answer is money. Yeah. And if you want to know why not, the answer is probably money. Well, I got snarky on Saturday night on Twitter, as I was saying before, and I made a comment that if the college football playoff were Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Clemson, and I believe I said Georgia, that ESPN would still find a way uh, to spend all December talking about Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I woke up on Sunday to a snarky reply from Chris Fowler. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I let it be because I was wondering why he was awake. He just had a game, and oh, now he's Okay, but how me. cool that Chris Fowler, like, like yeah. responded. That's pretty great. I must be right if he thought he had to respond to that. That's pretty interesting because if you, he thought you were a tinfoil hat, then maybe, um, <laughs> you know, then, then he just kind of let that yeah. person go. But that must uh, – um, thou dost protest too much, as Shakespeare <laughs> once said. Um with that being said, 0% chance he would ever hear this, but uh, big Chris Fowler fan. I love Sports Century. I wish they'd show it a little bit more than um, <laughs> that was one of my favorite series ever growing up. And uh, Reese Davis does great on College Game Day, but Chris Fowler was phenomenal. Sure, on sure. Best pregame show ever. All right, let's go to the Twitter comments, and I hope everybody is uh, staying up late with us. By the way, as we're recording, Podbean is down, so perhaps this long show is just buying us time until the site comes back up. Um, at some point, you will hear, hear this episode, I am sure. Uh, let's go to the Facebook comments that we had, because we had some really good ones. And let's start with Daniel Johnson. Um, I asked how everyone felt about the game. Daniel Johnson, one of our great fans, says, I feel better about this team. Hopefully Hunley can play more like he did last night. Now I wonder what happened against Baltimore. It was like night and day out there. He played well. It was interesting how Jordy Nelson is pretty much non-existent with Hunley at quarterback. I think he had three catches for 11. Yeah, he has disappeared. Yeah, he's, he's gone. Um, Rodgers was throwing last night, but we should just shut him down for the season and try again next year. I just hope we can beat the Browns. Um, yeah, uh, I think at this point, just even seeing what we saw last night, the Packers are still in a position where they can lose to anyone. Right, and and, and why would you bring now, – now that we know that the chance for getting a playoff is almost nothing, why in the world would you risk – I mean, you know, think about that. You wouldn't let your child – Yeah. You wouldn't let your child, who had a broken arm and it's just healed for eight weeks, and they say it's healed, yeah. you would not let them play football. Well – Depending on the risk, if there isn't any more than normal risk of getting injured, okay, and the Minnesota Vikings are on the brink of a 
two or three seed, Aaron Rodgers will play on December 23rd. Okay. Just All knowing right. the way that that guy operates. <laughs> and he'll throw eight touchdowns. There you passes. go. Just the competitive juices <laughs> that are flowing inside him. Uh, Jason Chastain, another great fan of ours, says, I think what we saw last night was the result of Hunley getting comfortable on the field and with himself. He looked much different than even a week ago. Hard to be upset about a loss like that where there weren't really any glaring holes to call out. Um, yeah, I think the defense had issues, but the defense played the way it's designed to play. Yeah, you, they got three turnovers and gave up a billion yards. Yeah, you you, you double-teamed. Uh, Antonio uh, Brown's great player, but most of the game you were double-teaming him, Yeah, and he had 10 catches for 169 yards. Yeah, Like that is the absolute definition of – you, you might as well have just held him on the line yeah. of scrimmage yeah, every no time kidding. and given him five-yard holding penalties and yeah. first downs. Like, how do you double somebody and then get beat for 170 yards? That's well, that's a bad plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Make somebody else beat you, That's man. a bad that's, plan with bad players, well, I think. And, and if you commit two people to him and you can't do it, like then what do you, you just mail it in and say, hey, we can't cover this guy, so just let him stand in the end zone and catch touchdowns. Yeah, I have I have no idea. Uh, Corey Bend, I feel bad since I'll be dumping a bucket of ice water in what I assume will be a somewhat happy episode, but since you asked. So it's funny, Corey, I read this comment earlier today, and I was already steaming before your bucket of ice water, but I, I'm glad <laughs> to see we're on the same page. Uh, first off, I su- suspect most people are delighted with the team's performance. I am not. The offensive output mostly came from a few big plays, and while Hunley did make a couple of nice throws, I don't feel like what they did last night is sustainable going forward. On the other side, getting three turnovers was nice, and with Aaron in the game, that's probably enough for us to steal the win. But aside from those plays, our defense got their teeth kicked in by the Steelers. 462 yards, 28 first downs, 8 of 13 on third down, 31 points. Those are all very, very bad numbers for a defense, and before anyone chimes in with the Steelers are really good, that's true, but last night still represented their highest yardage production of the season and second highest point total. It's easy to argue that a three-point loss in a game where we were massive underdogs is an encouraging result, but I posit that it's pretty alarming that you have the good fortune of three-plus turnovers in a game, and you still lose. Going forward, I wasn't actively hoping the Packers would lose, but I'm not that sad it happened either. Two reasons. The Steelers are really the only team with a prayer of stopping New England and the AFC. Name another. I'll wait. Yeah, there isn't really any right. other. <clears throat> yeah, If they had dropped this game, the Patriots would be firmly in the driver's seat for the top seed. And if the Patriots get the top seed and stay home for the playoffs, they're a virtual lock to win another bleepity bleep Super Bowl. <laughs> and oh my God, make it stop. And a Packers win would have fueled at least two weeks of false optimism. They're 6-5 and five and have Tampa and Cleveland next. They can win those two games with Hundley and get to 8-5. and five. Aaron will come back and beat the Vikings and Lions to get us to the playoffs. And anything can happen if you just get in. I know a bunch of players, uh, no, a bunch of people would have been saying that today, even though literally none of these things would have been likely. We're not winning three road games with the 23rd best defense in the NFL, Aaron or no Aaron. Now we as a fandom can just not even entertain such thoughts and we'll all look much smarter for it. I don't drink, but the last six weeks have made it awfully tempting. But how about them Badgers? So nicely done. Corey. So, so one of the comments, so he, so great. I mean, super great post. Uh, but I will say, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell is a very good back. How many times did he juke Packard players out of their socks? All the time. I mean, it was like he made one move. And, and, and again, ninth grade, what you teach defensive backs and you teach linebackers is you watch their belt buckle, right? Because you can shimmy your legs all you want. You can shimmy your shoulders all you want. You can bob your head all you want. 
But wherever your your belt buckle goes, that's where you're headed. Mm -hmm. So you always focus on the belt buckle, and you just go for the belt buckle. And so we saw people looking just silly last night, and um, and they were always going for the first fake. I just yeah, it was super undisciplined, not breaking down. you know, th- 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 we really need like like th- talk about if we don't need a new defensive coordinator. Tell me about the highlight. Yeah, I don't, there's got to be know. something good, right? We're great tacklers. No, not really. We get a lot of interceptions. No, we really pressure the quarterback. No, not really. Well, then what? Yeah. Then you have to make a change. Yeah, I, th- I think we're way beyond that point. But we're all skeptical that'll happen because we've been way beyond that point for several for a long years time. Now. All right, Eric Hansen, another great fan of ours. I agree with. Much of what Corey already said, there were some really nice big plays on both sides of the ball that helped keep this game much more competitive than I thought it would be, but there was also some big missed opportunities. The defense got some nice turnovers, but also returned back to the typical Dom Capers form of letting an offense move up and down the field the whole game because the front seven can't control the line of scrimmage. Hunley did have about as good of a game as you could expect from your backup quarterback, but the offense also made some key mistakes. It was kind of fitting, though, that Hunley finally got to see what Rodgers and Favre experienced so many times where you you play a good game, but you still lose because the defense gives up about a thousand yards to the other team I do think Devontae Adams has shown that he's worthy of a big contract and I'd like to apologize for ever thinking this team should cut him I think we all join you with that we were yep, all pretty yep, much yep. gave up on him halfway through 2015 and he's come back uh, with flying colors all in all this game actually exceeded my expectations but given that this team's five and six and they have so many flaws on both sides of the ball I think it's safe to say that this season's over and the consecutive playoff streak has come to an end on a happier slightly happier note I was happy to see Leroy Butler make the semifinalist list for the Hall of Fame do you guys think he actually has a chance to get in this year given some of it the other big names on the defense on the list this year and the fact that the voters don't seem to be electing more than one player from the same position in the same year and then we have some other classic topics uh, from everyone else so happy for Leroy Butler. I think he's more than deserving. I'm skeptical that he'll get in this year because he seems like the kind of borderline guy that it's going to take a few years. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately he will get in if he gets enough momentum. I've been trying to share some good Leroy Butler plays that I come along uh, while I'm watching old stuff on, on the Twitter account. But, uh, yeah, when when you hear teams as good as Denver – saying that with a defense that had Reggie White on it, that their biggest concern was Leroy Butler. Right, right from our conversations earlier. That's as good of an endorsement as you could possibly Well, have. I think there's just, in my opinion, there's just not enough flash. So if you think yeah. about safeties who get in, they all have, you know, really memorable returns for touchdowns or really big hits. And and Leroy Butler was the was just the quintessential technically like like he made the plays and he made the tackles and he had some sacks but you know really name other than tossing the ball back and doing the Lambo leap the really classic Leroy Butler play that won a game for them yeah and I don't think there is many but they're the Hall of Fame committee their their job is to not get lost in the stuff that we fans get lost in because then otherwise put Darren Sharper in the Hall of Fame, put some of these guys in the Hall of Fame. Their job is to do the grunt work and see these minor plays that change games. Like I, I had one that I, I tweeted the other day, the TJ Rubley game, mm-hmm. where TJ Rubley fumbles a terrible snap and Minnesota's in field goal range should have lost right there if Leroy Butler didn't attack the ball carrier on the first play of the next drive, hold him up and rip the ball out and get it back immediately Allowing T.J. Rubley to make the worst interception in the history of the Packers. <laughs> right, so, right. So if you're the Hall of Fame voters, you can't just stick in the 30-minute 
Packers video from 1994 and see how many times Leroy Butler shows up. Your job is to go and do the the grunt work and find out which of these guys is good. They narrow it down for you. Once it gets to this level, there's only 24 guys. Do your homework. So I agree with you, and then I will just say two words. Yeah. Jerry Kramer. Yeah. No, I know. So, so, so clearly. But that, that means the committee is not doing their job. In yeah, it, it, it means that there's got to be some sex appeal to the player <laughs> I mean, Jerry Kramer was arguably yeah. the best of Lombardi's Packers. The best. If not, if Forrest Gregg wasn't, then he definitely was. And he's, what, 45 years later is yeah. still fighting his way? But that's what's so arbitrary about it. Name me one thing Kenny easily did. And he made it last year. It seems like all of a sudden they get into this room and they'd be like, Mick Tinglehoff, his year. Yeah. Claude Humphrey, got to go in this year. Who did he play for? I don't know, one of the Southern teams. <laughs> It it seems like if you don't have a lot of flash, they make you wait a little bit for sure. And then Kenny they put you in was for a no flashier reason. player though. Kenny Easley, you know, was dancing in the end zone, and Kenny Easley was making big hits on people. And you can think about Kenny Easley and play and go. You know what? I yeah. can remember a couple of plays from him. Did he it, invent the Lambo leap? He did not invent the Lambo leap, and and so that's maybe that's enough to get you into the Packer Hall of Fame, but yeah. not the NFL. So that's that's my theory at yeah. least. No, I I, I'm not sure I know, I'm right. and I'm I'm just playing fu- fun with you, but I think you're right in a lot of ways but that's when you you get into those arguments like well which uh super bowl champion was kenny easily one of the right, team captains right, exactly on? right uh did he go to back-to-back super bowls yeah. i don't, I don't did remember did he that. elevate his team to a different level and did a super bowl caliber team plan their whole offense around him that's <laughs> yeah. i mean that's about the best uh salute you can give to him absolutely okay so now we are going to go to some of the questions that we got um we'll try to get to a few of these here and some might have to go until next week you all asked great questions so thank you for that we spent more time on this game than we anticipated hopefully we'll get lucky and the packers will get destroyed by the buccaneers <laughs> next week and we'll have more time to talk about these things sure uh Omen mousley i'm going from what you asked last week and you asked something similar this week but uh, let's get to that as for classic Packers NFL topics, and by the way, Omade, I'm sorry that we missed your comment last week. We recorded a little bit earlier than normal, um, <laughs> but we wanted to get to this. I would like to know about your thoughts about the many times the team nearly moved from Green Bay and how that could have changed everything. Um, and then you have some others after that. Let's start with that, Chris, because they actually just recently had a feature on Fox 11 about um, the the Packers and how they almost the times they've almost mm-hmm. moved. And I think when it t- comes to the Packers moving, there are a ton of misconceptions all about. Um, the Packers were in dire financial straits many times prior to the building of Lambeau Field right. in 1957. But that wasn't unique. It wasn't because they were Green Bay. There were teams starting and folding all the time in right. the first 20, right. 30 years of the NFL um, I think the last team to just completely go bankrupt was the first Baltimore Colts that had come over from the AAFC with the 49ers oh, and wow. the Browns. Good I history. I believe that was 1953. That's the last. Uh, them or uh, perhaps there was a Bo- Brooklyn Yanks. They're one of these. T- the 50s is the last <laughs> yeah, time sure. a team okay. just completely right. went out of business. And so once the Packers built City Stadium that became Lambeau Field in the late 50s, and then they... Uh, wrote the new bylaws of the 1960 um, NFL franchise agreement that grandfathered in the Packers' ownership structure. From that point on, the Packers were pretty much on a level playing field um, and at least had as good of a chance to succeed as anyone else. The big one 
that uh, that comes up that this Fox 11 piece focused on was the referendum in September of 2000 to um, uh, to renovate Lambeau Field based uh-huh. upon the half percent sales tax in Brown County. And so from what I've read, it's an election. So it's so hard to get the truth, as we've learned right. very much right. recently. But the Packers made it sound in their pitch that in 1999 they had a negative cash flow uh-huh. because of the situation of Lambeau Field. And once free agency came, the signing bonuses were outside of the shared revenue structure. So if you're Washington or if you're one of these teams with the new stadium, you can afford higher signing bonuses, and that gives you a leg up over everyone else. And you go to stadium revenue to pay for the unshared types of costs, sure. okay. which include... You know, I'm, I know finance bore a lot of people, including me, but that's how it happened. So that's why the Packers needed a new stadium. They said that had they not gotten a new stadium with the sales tax, that they would have been out of their, their cash reserves would have been empty by 2004. Now, once that happens, the Packers could default on being able to pay the base level salaries that was required by the collective bargaining agreement. If that were the case... Due to the franchise agreement of being a part of the NFL, the NFL at that point would be able to supersede the Green Bay Packers ownership structure, take over the Green Bay Packers, and have the option to either move them or expel them from the NFL and liquidate them. Hmm. I doubt that would have happened. Right. But, and, and a lot of people that voted no were skeptical that that would have ever happened. I think that the Packers... Um, the the little engine that could narrative of the Packers is somewhat exaggerated. The NFL likes the Packers. They want them in Green Bay. They would have moved them to Milwaukee or something because if Brown County would have voted no, there was already offers from Waukesha County and Milwaukee County. Oh, I guess I didn't know that. So that's um, I lived through this very yeah. much. So um, so so here's what I remember. Now it's 17 years ago, but I remember it very very well. I was in my mid 30s. What I kept hearing them say was not that we would move. But that we can't compete. Yeah. So, because remember, at any point, you can just, you know, say, oh, our cash reserves will, oh, oh. well, no, you just don't pay expensive players. Yeah. Now, you may have a terrible team. Yeah. But, you know, when you're sold out with, with season tickets for 40 years in advance, we've experienced some bad teams in Green Bay if people, you know, if their memory goes back a little way. So, I, I think that's what you do. Uh, you know, th- think of anybody who wants to pass anything political. And, and listen, a sales tax is political. Yeah. Um, they, they always find, like, they scare you. They scare you with something. And what's the ultimate scare that you could have for a Packer fan? You're not going to have your yeah. Packer team anymore. But can you even imagine? I mean, can you even imagine how many millionaires would have come out of the, 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 the uh, um, the woodwork in Wisconsin to, you know, to say that an NFL team literally can't make its payroll. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a stretch. I agree. I think that's a huge stretch, but it was interesting that they were using that type of language. You, Bob Harlan was insistent. We're not going to move. We're going to die was basically what he said. And they talked that, Sure, we could have a bad team and just pay everybody less, but the CBA is not going to wait for the Green Bay Packers sure, to meet a new sure. minimum. They'll insist that the Packers meet this new minimum, spend themselves in the red to do so, and if you can't, we'll find a team in Houston or in um, 
you know, one of these other markets, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, that can make that payroll. And you can still be the Green Bay Packers, but you got to go play the Fox Valley Forest if you want to fill out your schedule. No yeah. disrespect to them. I know they mean a lot to you. But yeah, to- no, no, no. That's I- what the NBA used to do way back in the early days is they'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is the new payroll, Sheboygan Redskins. And if you can't make it, then you go play the teams from Oshkosh and the Lakers will go to New York. So um, so I understand your your theory, yeah. right? And so – um, here's my sentiment. You've seen, um, you've seen NFL teams move, right? Yeah. Tell me the iconic NFL team that's been moved. I guess the closest would be the Raiders, but they're not a and they didn't pre World War One. No, right? No, the the Packers would have moved to Milwaukee or the suburbs. Yeah, can you, of I mean, can you imagine the yeah. Chicago Bears going anywhere? Can no. you imagine the Dallas Cowboys going anywhere? No. Can you imagine the New York Giants going? Anywhere. Not and this since year, World War they're II. really not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I, uh, I think it, it's a lot of blather. Um, but now, now to say that, without that renovation, we are never in this period of time. Because how do you pay Reggie White to come here? Yeah. You know, or how do you pay free agents to come here? How do you, how do you keep Brett Favre here? Um, yeah. How do you keep Aaron Rodgers here without that, that change? So I think it was critical. Um, but I think, in my opinion, from what I remember, the end result would have been we would have had bad teams that couldn't compete, yeah. but not that we would move. Uh, and I still – I think you're right for a while, but I think that if they wouldn't have been able to find some kind of financing option, I think by this point, they probably would have tried something else in Green Bay. But if they all would have gotten turned down, and they made it sound like um, the, the the politicians and at the state level basically were saying that you're not going to get to vote on something else. This is the only public financing option that we're wow, going to offer I didn't Brown know County. That. Okay. And my suspicion is that they would be the Green Bay Packers and they would be playing near State Fair Park in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. Milwaukee's about the same driving distance from Green Bay that Santa Clara is from San Francisco. Oh, there you go. Okay, 100 miles. So there, there's no way Green Bay would leave Wisconsin because they want that whimsy and they would still have Green Bay season ticket holders. But I see what you're saying. Oh, okay, yeah. I see that possibility yeah. more. I, I thought they meant like, like you know, like the like the Colts become the Baltimore Ravens. No. And, and um, uh, yeah, that, that would be – I just can't imagine that. But you make yeah. a good point. Yeah, and other than that, I think they've had stock sales and things like that. But there really hasn't been the existential crisis for the Packers since probably the fight to get the Lambeau Field originally in right, the 50s. Right. Okay, uh, Omade Mousley also has... Um, also, it would be cool to hear about some bad front office moves. The Herschel Walker trade, the Brett Favre trade... Um, so the Herschel Walker trade is interesting. I think everybody knows it's a bad trade. This is something I'm going to focus on when I do a uh, retrospective on the 1989 season. The Packers were an unfortunate bystander to that trade because they played Dallas and completely shut down Herschel Walker. And then that week he gets traded to Minnesota, who Green Bay had to play the next Sunday. And then Herschel Walker ran all over them <laughs> after playing them in you know two what? consecutive you're right. weeks. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. So that was an interesting thing. What did you feel when they traded for Favre? Well, I think the first thing you have to remember is they had two first-round draft choices that year. So if we were going to give away our first-round draft pick today for somebody else's quarterback, 
you'd really struggle with yeah. him. But I can't remember whose first-round pick or why they got that first-round pick. But really, Wolf walked in, and he said to him, so we got two first-round picks. I'm going to use one to get uh, Favre. And, and it, you have to remember that when Wolf was with the Jets, was it Jets? Yep. Yeah, when he was with the Jets, he planned on drafting Favre, like using his first-rounder to get him, and he got scooped up from under them by the Falcons. And so, I mean, he thought he was worth a first-rounder the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so really giving up. Your additional first round yeah. is it's kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of like losing your second car, kind yeah. of. It's like, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, the world doesn't end. And uh, now I'd never heard of him. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, you know, when you start looking, when you started looking at who he was and, you know, second, third or fourth on the depth chart, he wasn't even necessarily going to be with Atlanta, that he wasn't even going to yeah. make the team. But I had no access. Remember, this is a much different time, right? Yep. 1993, the internet is in its absolute infancy. And so there's no way of taking a look at his college career. There's no way, you, you know, you can't just go online into Google and say, show me Brett Favre's career at Southern Miss. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist back then. So I think if it happened now, it would be different because you could say, oh, my gosh, this is a tough guy, and he won some games, and he, he helped Southern Miss beat Alabama, for goodness sakes. And so maybe there's something. But at the time, it was just some no-name guy who was third string in Atlanta. And Atlanta, by the way, wasn't you know the world beater of the world. So it's, yeah. it's you know the third stringer on an average team, pretty confusing at the time just because we didn't have enough information. Yeah, and uh, like you said, it's – it's sort of a low risk trade. I mean, it's a first round pick, but the Packers had had so many first round flameouts in there. Luckily, they picked uh, Sure Thing Terrell Buckley with the fourth pick. The other, uh, <laughs> um, and also the Jets, if you remember, they they picked right after Favre got drafted. Uh-huh. And so then uh, Ron Wolf picked can't miss quarterback prospect Browning Nagel, who definitely was going to get a lot of endorsement deals with that name. Browning Nagel. Um, so I'm trying to think which trophies he won. Well, it's good when you're named after a method to cook hamburgers. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, some overrated and underrated players in NFL history. He says he thinks his most overrated is Joe Namath and underrated is Leroy Butler. And Omade has some justifications for those. I used to think Joe Namath was pretty overrated, but uh, Chase Stewart, who runs pro football, or I'm sorry, footballperspective.com, makes a really good comparison to Namath and his time that makes me think that um, he, he's more deserving of a Hall of Fame than maybe his numbers would okay. suggest. Um, I don't know who you got. Just uh, th- This this can be like a crossfire since we're going long. Who, who's a player that you think is vastly overrated in NFL history, Packers or otherwise? Oh, in history. So I was going to say overrated, but then he flamed out with Boswell, of course, yeah, uh, yeah. That, uh, for Seattle. Who is overrated uh, at, at, in a historical way? I would say, by the way, underrated, I would go with, like, Lynn Dickey. Like, yeah. I yeah, really thought Lynn Dickey was an amazing – and I'm sure that there are other examples of that in other teams. I just know Packer history a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair one. Um, James Lofton made it a point in his uh, Hall of Fame speech to basically say he he's one of the best and toughest players ever, but he just was beat to hell by injuries and bad offensive lines. And, and bad offensive like line, exactly. Well, I'm trying to think who would come to mind – who would be overrated. I can give you a hot take overrated. Please, go ahead. And it might not be, well, now, now I want to go off it because it, there's a lot of context with uh, him perhaps being hand-strung by Dan Reeves. But statistically, 
Um, John Elway is pretty overrated prior to Mike Shanahan getting there. He put up some really bad seasons running around. He was playing in an awful conference. Um, he had a really good defense. And when your stiffest challenge to the Super Bowl is Bernie Kosar's Browns, who I love Bernie Kosar. Yeah, right, totally. But... You know, you don't exactly. The other side has the Redskins and the Giants and the 49ers and the Bears, and you see how the Broncos and those types of teams fared when they had to play those guys. So Elway's early career is pretty rough, and he is a guy who had the cachet. People remember the drive, and they right, remember exactly. these comebacks, and then they forget. And that, refusing to play for a team right out of the draft. Remember yeah. that. So he had all the stories, uh-huh. and then people remember those, and then uh, just look at the paper and be like, Wow, that's weird. The Broncos lost to the Cardinals 27-3. to Hmm, weird. I'm sure they'll be fine. And so uh, uh, there's an old saying that um, the winners uh, of war write the history. Yeah, yeah. And so what we remember are the positive things at the end of his career. Um, and you forget all those kind of things. You forget yeah. four losses in the Super Bowl Yeah. on teams that had – like the orange crush defense. So I wouldn't have thought of that, but yeah. but now that you explain it, that makes more sense. And I think more time with a guy like Mike Shanahan, his numbers would have been much better because he played so well in his late 30s in a different offense. But his prime career numbers mm-hmm. are more reminiscent of like Donovan McNabb than they are somebody else. So I don't, uh, so it's a more recent thing and, and the statistics will not bear this out at all, but Witten for the Cowboys. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he gets open. Yeah, it's in the heartbeat, according to the Geico commercial. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, this is the slowest <laughs> tight end you've ever seen in your life. Now, he's going to end up being in the top probably 10 of all-time catches for tight ends. So you might think statistically this, but not gifted in the least. Yeah. And he had the opportunity to play with some pretty darn good quarterbacks and pretty darn good offensive lines. And he had the uh, he had the ability to... Um, get a lot of those off of play action because they had such unbelievable running games that that that's what a running game does for you in play action. It brings the tight ends, uh, it brings the linebackers who would be covering the tight end yeah. up a step, and then you throw it right behind him. So um, I, I like him as a guy. I yeah, think he's super yeah, tough. Definitely. But I, you know, put him on any other team. He is a super average player. Yeah, I think that's fair. And um, again, I like him too. But uh, his success somewhat baffles me. <laughs> Um, as far as an underrated player, that's ridiculously hard. I'll throw out some rapid-fire ones. Uh, Henry Ellard is ridiculously good. I recently stumbled upon his statistics. The former Rams and yeah, uh, yeah, Redskins yeah. receiver is an awesome player. Um, I'm very partial to Gary Clark. He's one of my favorite players. The Redskins receiver was uh, kind of a um, a pesky, kind of Antonio Brownish kind right, of guy. Right, exactly. And one guy, I guess, who's a Hall of Famer and spectacular, but I don't think gets enough credit for being amazingly good is Eric Dickerson. The workload that he got was unbelievable. And he didn't break down until well into his thirties, getting like 350 carries a season. You see other guys that get that level and completely fall apart. And he did it for a decade on a team that believe it or not, him and Jim Everett played one season together and it was Everett's rookie year. Wow. So he's putting up those huge numbers with, nobody's at quarterback or guys that are way past right, their he prime. He is their offense, and every defense knows he's their offense, and he still does that. Exactly. Uh, and if I remember correctly, just kind of a little trivia, uh, Eric Dickerson um, came to training camp with the Packers, didn't he? Or he, uh, 
I don't know if he started a game, or but I remember being very excited and then watching him going, oh, this is a 35-year-old Eric Dickerson. You are right. I forget how that went down. I don't think he ever played in even a preseason game, but I want to say they traded for him. He might have practiced and then maybe failed a physical or something, yeah, some, but it, something it was like either his last year or after um, – it was 93 or 94, something like that. So let's just go back to somebody that we've talked about in past episodes, Ezra Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Ezra Johnson for the Packers. And I, you know, a lot of my history, you know, you have this amazing history across the NFL for statistics. I'm very Packer-centric just yeah. because I've lived most of my life there. But I'm telling you, he was just – he was a man among boys – and uh, you had some statistic about that, that if they had been keeping records back then, he might be the all-time sack leader uh, in the NFL. So um, Yeah, for the Packers. But, for the Packers yeah, so, yeah. So you ne- but you never, ever – you remember Ted Hendricks, and Ted Hendricks only played yeah. a couple of years for us, yeah. the Stork, which is one of the funniest. <laughs> well, he also went to the, on to win championships with the Raiders. Right, so right, helps. exactly. So, um, so, so that would be my choice is Ezra Johnson. Okay, that, and that's, that's a great one. Yeah, he would be the all-time leader in sacks in Packers franchise history had they been keeping those. Okay, um, let's do some more real quick rapid fire. Do you have time? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's do some more rapid fire. Daniel Johnson said, can you please discuss who is the best in-season acquisition in Packers history? I watched the 1967 America's Game, and it talks about Chuck Mercine and his impact. This is for players who were acquired after the first game of the season. Hmm. So the obvious one is Andre Risen. If you look at his statistics, he didn't have a huge impact in the regular season, but you hear the way guys who were on that team talk about his acquisition, and it was when the switch flipped that Ron believes that we should win the Super Bowl, and if we don't, it's something we did wrong. And it was kind of like this shot of enthusiasm, like, yeah, let's go get it. They're they're not letting us have one hole on this team, even if they have to take a chance on a guy yeah. they normally yep, wouldn't yep. take the chance on. Um, as far as the offense is concerned, the week after they got Andre Risen, Antonio Freeman came back from his busted arm, and played like a top five receiver for the next three years because there was competition and yeah, and was uh, awesome. And and Ryzen brought uh, a certain attitude. I mean, yeah. you, you just I know there's physical attributes that we take a look at and and technical skills, but do not underestimate swagger. Yeah, uh, people who just absolutely believe they're that good and can back it up. Just they just raise a whole team to believe that they can do something that. Um, uh, you know, that they didn't think that it could do before. I, I think uh, Mercine's a really interesting story, yeah. by the way. He comes from the Giants, if I'm not mistaken. You're, yep, you're and right. um, he comes from the Giants, and in the Dallas game, he is uh, he's featured, right? So, mm-hmm. so in the Ice Bowl, he's really featured, and you see that. And the next week, he's so excited because he's <laughs> finally been featured. And in the Super Bowl, uh, in, in Super Bowl one against Kansas City, Lombardi comes out to him and says, so we're not going to feature you at all. Yeah. And he's like, so did you see what I did last week? Yeah. And he's like, very, you know, Lombardi was like, there was a very specific situation, very specific thing, defense that we were playing. We need somebody who's going to be faster. We need the Elijah, Elijah Pitts of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you'll be in for some blocking, but you're not going to be the featured back. And interestingly enough, Mercine was mad, mad, mad as heck at the time. And then in this uh, this special that I saw yeah. on, on NFL Network. I think it was that America's game. He said, yeah. he's totally right. Yeah. He, was just, he was absolutely right. It was the right thing to do. It was just hard to swallow at that time. Yeah, he's a good one. And, of course, he's immortal. In that image, trying to show the ref he's not pushing. Right, Mark exactly Star. right. My choice is actually not Andre Risen. It's I had to think about this long and hard. Um, Ryan Grant was picked off off the street. <sighs> 
after You're week absolutely one. Absolutely right. And he comes in, led the team in rushing. That season broke the team's postseason rushing record, 1,200 yards the next two seasons, and is the fifth leading rusher in team history after not even being in training camp. Also from the Giants? Uh, I think so. Giants? Yeah, I think it was the Giants. And then he was at the Redskins after. Yeah, so. exactly right. Yeah, so That's a, uh, that's a really good one. I mean, nobody else comes to mind, but that's about as good as you can ask for because you really picked him off the, the trash pile yeah. um, from the last team, and all of a sudden he comes in um, and, and really changes the dynamic of that offense because he runs. He's not the fast. He's fast enough yep. to break 30-yard runs. He's not going to take it to the house all the time. But boy, oh, boy, he'll, he gets you the tough yards and, and can catch, uh, underratedly, can catch really well out of the backfield. Yeah, I feel like it's unfortunate that because of the time he came in that he might become a f- sort of forgotten player yep. and missed almost all of the Super Bowl season. But, uh, yeah. He, and he, he was a, a superstar at Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, before he got drafted, he was a pretty high draft choice, and clearly, it's you know, it's, it's so that tells you that you know a, a player has to fit into a scheme, yep. right? So you can have all the talent in the world, but if the scheme doesn't utilize those talents, you can be a good player on uh, in the in the wrong scheme. Yep. All right, and then Eric Hansen has a great one here, but we are running kind of long, and I know there's been some nice discussion about this on the website, but Chris, I'll let you know this so then we can do this next week as our feature. Okay. Um, Eric Hansen wants to know, you have to pick your favorite non-Packers playoff win from each of the following decades and explain why it's so memorable to you, and he's saying the 70s, 80s, 90s, and... Tens or mm-hmm. sure. What do you? What do we call the aughts? I think people call the two thousands <laughs> the, the aughts, and then what is this? The teens? It must be the teens. I don't know. The tens. We <laughs> each of the last five decades. There you go. And I explain those. So obviously, um, I was not born until nineteen eighty seven, but I've seen. Uh, I can pick from numerous games that I've seen in the seventies and eighties. Uh, Chris had firsthand accounts of those, and then we've all been around for the most recent ones. So that can be. I have an idea here. Okay. So you and I will have a week to think about it. Yeah. What if our listeners uh, submitted their ideas Mm -hmm. for the most uh, dramatic playoff wins or most unexpected wins? Yep. And then we can kind of compare what we came up with. But this really, um, you know, this is a really interesting topic. I'd like the time to really think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think a lot of people out there are going to have an opinion on this as well. So maybe if they can just send in their ideas. Um, that would be helpful as well. Yeah, and I know Corey and Eric have already been sharing those on the Facebook page. So everybody else, um, I would encourage you to do so as well, and we can make that a big part of next week's episode. Um, Also, uh, Omade, real quick, asked about – he asked about the Martellus Bennett saga. He was put on IR today, which is, well, too bad, so sad. right. um, (laughs) I don't really have much thought on it. I think he's clearly connived his way out of Green Bay and – whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he, he played the system, he played the Packers and, you know, the pla- Packers took him at his word. Um, and of course I'm a Packer fan, so I'm going to take the Packers side, but there isn't really a lot of evidence that says anything that he said could be true. No. Um, and the fact that he went after doc McKenzie, who's got a great reputation is says a lot about what kind of guy he is. Yeah. And, and then you play the same week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, right. You know, they're, they're pushing me to play and I don't want to play. Oh, but I'll yeah. play for you guys. Come so, on. That's... So the Patriots team doctor must've got his degree off of one of those 800 numbers, you or know, you, or you win it in a poker game. Yeah. That there you go. Too. There you go. So, uh, I get, he's using, you know, rusty <laughs> utensils and things to operate on players that somebody ought to, if, if Goodell needs another gate, 
Doctor Gate over in New England. <laughs> He's letting crippled players go out there and oh play. My gosh. This guy, oh man, talk about no character. I, so anyway, you know, failed experiment, but not because he wasn't the right player. He, his technical skills were fine. You know, it's funny. I talk to people all the time in their career search, and I talk about the fact that people get hired for their technical skills, but they get fired for who they are. Yeah. And there's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why he's played for 51 teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ome did want to know what we felt about the Grey Cup. So I actually, so it was Calgary and Toronto. They had a good game. Toronto won a last second um, game yesterday in the snow. Um, and then they had, it's their Super Bowl up there. Okay. So yep. Shania Twain did the halftime show in the snow, which was interesting. And I had actually been, I had some of those games on because I have my, my crazy basement with the four screens. <laughs> it's cool. You guys out there should see it. I mean, he's watching five games at a time. It's pretty great. Yeah, you're not invited, though. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate all of your fandom. But um, the, but I've had the uh, Canadian Football League playoffs on, so I got into the Saskatchewan – I believe they're the Rough Riders. Rough Riders, yeah. They had had a Cinderella story going, and they had a comeback against Toronto and then gave it away 2014 Packers style at the very end. Uh, but it was exciting to watch. They have a very different brand of football, but mostly I just appreciated how you could play your Super Bowl in a snowstorm. That's just so cool. It, it is. It's real football, and it, it was potentially, you know, a couple of years ago when the Super Bowl was played in New York in early February, like we had that possibility. It didn't come to to fruition, but, uh, you know, to those of us in this area, that's, you know, that's really where the, 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 the game should be played and not, you know, not in Jerry world. So, yeah. Um, but the CFL is cool. It's uh, a lot of passing. A lot of motion. Uh, yeah. They only have three downs, don't they? Yeah, they only have three downs. You're allowed to, like arena football, you're allowed to sprint towards the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, as in the NFL, you have to be lateral to the line of scrimmage, and only one guy can be moving right. at once. Right, they can have multiple guys. Multiple going. guys that can run straight at the line of scrimmage. So it's a different game. And one of my favorite quirky stories is uh, one of my – again, I'm repeating the same words. I don't have a very extensive okay, vocabulary. Right, we'll work but on I'm, that this week. <laughs> um, Vince Ferragamo is one of my favorite lesser-known old-school players to watch, and he left the Rams at kind of the height of his career to go up and take a huge contract to play up, I believe, for the Alouettes in the CFL oh. and thought, I'm a, a – quality NFL player I'm going to go up to the CFL and just clean these guys clocks and I think he played one season had like seven touchdowns and 25 interceptions and came crawling back to the NFL the following year Uh, luckily got his job back with the Rams yes a completely different game although maybe we need a defensive coordinator up there because if you can stop an offense that can have as many people as you want in motion at any given time maybe that would translate down here I don't know well it Mark Tressman, I believe, was the coach of Toronto that one yesterday. Right. And so um, any league where he can be uh, the champion of your league perhaps <laughs> is not very quality. Yeah, it doesn't always translate. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for contributing. We'll get to all these topics again as it's likely the Packers are not going to be making the playoffs. And so um, hopefully we get a routine win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next mm-hmm. week and we can get uh, really – deep into these topics but if you want to contribute more or especially if you want to give us your best games of the last five decades no playoffs everybody can pick the super bowls you gotta right, right. pick your favorite regular season games please do so uh, let's do that on the facebook page green and gold forever podcast on facebook you can also tweet at us and uh, follow me on twitter at green gold forever that's the number four number four so let's let's see what can we say there uh number four the number of 
wins the Packers will have over the last games and still not make the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. <laughs> um, you can also uh, go to our Podbean page when it's working, which it's not today. If you're listening to this, it likely is now, right. so this is just a problem for us. But it's greengoldforever.podbean.com. And to listen to the complete archives of the show on the go, you can follow us on the Podbean app. Or if you prefer the iTunes app, where you can still get uh, most of our archives on there, you can follow us on iTunes. Please rate and review on both of those sites if you are so inclined. So again, we're left with another game against a team that seems to be able to be beaten in in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We have them coming to Lambeau Field, and despite what we saw yesterday, um, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, and if you're a young fan, just remember, um, it, it isn't always sunshine and rainbows. You don't always go to the playoffs. Not everybody does. You don't You don't always contend for a Super Bowl. And this is where real fans show themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you've only been, if you're only 20 or 30 years old, you really don't know anything other than success with the Green Bay Packers. And, and um, you know, to love them is to really love them. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a spouse or a yeah. significant other. You love them in their good times and their bad. And so, um, you know, I, I would really encourage you to become uh, as interested as a student of the game when they're not good as you are excited about them when they're winning. Uh, because I will tell you, as somebody who lived through a really long s- a stretch of bad teams, when they get good, it's really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so hopefully that happens relatively soon. Uh, (laughs) Not 29 years. (laughs) Not 29 years from now. Um, I enjoyed watching the Sam Congato Packers, but I'd rather it not become an annual tradition. But uh, either way, uh, Aaron Rodgers is starting to throw again, and the Packers will at least have a team that they could potentially beat. So maybe we'll get a win on Sunday, and at this point in the season, I guess that's all we can hope for. Exactly Uh, right. Let every other chip fall where it may. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully you can hear this relatively soon, depending on what happens on Podbean. But uh, either way, enjoy this week if you're a Badger fan, because coming up on Saturday is one of the biggest games you'll ever have. Real quick, Chris, before they sign off, are they going to win that game? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, listen, uh, Iowa put up 55 on them. Yeah. And Iowa is not a great passing team. Yeah. They're a really good running team. I mm-hmm. mean, they had some passing touchdowns. If you can run the ball and put up 55 on anybody and the Badgers run the ball as well or better than anybody else, you can absolutely win this game. I think the Badgers are going to win, too. They de- they definitely could lose it because Ohio State's got a lot of weapons, but I think the Badgers are hot right now. Hornerbrook's playing well. I think they're going to win, and I want it so badly because as fun as it is to go to the Final Four, you get a week to bask in what you've done. We'll uh, get a month, a month to, to talk about it. <laughs> we won't even care what happens in the playoff. We'll get a month to just enjoy where this Badger program is, and I can't wait for that. That's pretty great. Okay, go Bucky. Go Bucky. Take care, everyone.